0: Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers here today. Thank you. I'll get to talk a little bit about it in the sermon today. It provided an opportunity to mention a few things. But, you know, being a parent isn't always easy. But in the end, it is truly worth it. I want to read one of my, my favorite verses on being a father. Psalm 127, 3 to 5 says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And as many of you know, I have been very blessed by God. I wanted to share with you my Father's Day gift. It's dad of girls. Hashtag outnumbered. <laughs> As you get to know our family, you'll know that we even have a a girl dog. So I am truly, truly outnumbered, but they're all a blessing from God. So would you bow with me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this day where we can celebrate the fathers. We thank you for the gift that children are. We thank you for the family units that you have given us, that uh, you have designed, and that we're to model you as the Heavenly Father, Lord. Help us to remember that
1: on this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. As we would be normally moving into our time of offering, I would remind you that our offering box is in the foyer next to the welcome counter so that we can give in that way, but without having to pass the offering plate to reduce the contact surfaces to make sure we're staying sanitary and compliant with the uh, cdc guidelines Uh, that being said i would remind you that uh, if you were not on our email list that you would let one of us know so that you can be on that list or there's prayer updates that you're receiving uh, and that you could keep folks in our body in your prayers uh, as you go throughout the week let's pray father god thank you so much for who you are lord Thank you so much for the sacrifice that you've made for us on the cross, Lord, and as we're called as believers to give back, Lord, may we give out of the joy of our hearts, Lord, out of the remembrance of what you have done for us and the sacrifice that you have made to bless us abundantly. Father, we love you so much. We pray for our time together this morning, that you would be with Craig as he gives the message, and Lord, that you would give us Ears to hear, Lord, that we would not leave this room unchanged by you, but Lord, that you would challenge us and change us. We love you, Lord, so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: So for those of you who are fathers here, is there any greater adventure in life than getting to be a dad? Now, I was thinking about this week, and I thought, what, what really makes up an adventure? if I'm going to look at parenting as an adventure. So I looked it up and I, I found a list of three things that every adventure has to have. One, it has to be a challenge. And I would say that parenting is definitely a challenge. Number two, it said it takes bravery because there will be risks. And third, there's always a reward to an adventure. You're striving for something, there's something there at the end. And parenting is such a reward. You know, I've had the blessing of being present at each one of my children's births. And that moment that after 40 weeks of praying and planning and hoping and expecting, that you witnessed this life come into the world, this tiny, beautiful, and precious life that is given to you by God and that you had a, a part in creating I'm going to tell you one of my favorite stories to tell about becoming a dad. This was actually the moment I became a father. Uh, When Kaylin was born, we didn't know if she was going to be a little boy or a little girl. And so after hours and hours of labor, there came Kaylin. And the nurse handed her to me, and I was holding her, and the nurse said, Dad, tell Mom if it's a little boy or a little girl. And I was crying so hard that I couldn't see. And then I, I said, "I don't know." And the nurse said, "Well, it's not that complicated." <laughs> I said, "I can't see." You know, I was trying to with my one free hand wipe my eyes. And she said, "You have a little girl." And since that moment, with Kalen and with each one of my daughters, my heart is full. Of love, but it's a love that is a daily challenge, a love that takes bravery, but it is a love that is so rewarding. For all of you parents, we're so familiar with the day to day life of having children, what they're like, that the ways they challenge us, the ways they reward us. But even for those who aren't parents, I mean, youth is like the universal example because we have all been there. And even if it's been a while since we've been there, we can see children all around us, the ways they act and the things they do. Today, Jesus is going to use a small child as his example. In Matthew 18, through a small child, Jesus is going to highlight the need for humility. Jesus is going to show us that humility is the key. Humility is the key. Would you pray with me as we begin? Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you again for this day, this chance to be here and to worship together, to open your word together. Again, Lord, speak through me this morning. Help me to be clear and to get across what you've laid on my heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to be in Matthew 18. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 14. As we begin to look at verses 1 through 3, we'll see that humility is the key to kingdom entrance. Humility is the key to kingdom entrance. Beginning in verse 1, it says that at that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted... And become like children. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So let's remember our immediate context. Uh, It begins at that time. Sort of a ubiquitous phrase for at that time in Jesus' ministry. We're to assume he's still in Capernaum. Where he was at where chapter 17 left off. And at that end of chapter 17 last week we looked at Jesus' humility. That he paid the tax that he didn't have to pay. That he didn't want to offend people, even though he had every right to. But he was humble. And after that story, immediately following that story, Matthew tells us this story. Whereas in last week, I asked you to follow Jesus' example of humility. We see the disciples doing the exact opposite. You know, I want to be the greatest. No, I do. And in response to this, they come to Jesus in this prideful attitude. And Jesus' response is to call a small child to himself. And I can imagine that as the disciples are arguing in their pride, I'm sure they were absolutely bewildered by this. Children had no rights. There's an old saying that children are to be seen and not heard, but it went way beyond that. I mean, children were the lowest of the low. And yet Jesus called one to himself and set him there in the middle of them. And then he gives his disciples a lesson in humility. Again, verse 3 said, And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The word converted, there some translations use the word change, unless you are changed. The word literally does mean to turn or to change. And the idea that Jesus is getting across here is that that pride, self-sufficiency, self-reliance, all the things the disciples are currently showing, and that's the natural state of man. That's all of our natural state. So to believe, to gain eternal life through faith, to be able to trust in Jesus, you can't be trusting in yourself. So unless you are converted or changed to become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is Jesus saying this to his disciples? Haven't these men already believed in him? You know, as the the stories are told of these men being called, they saw this potential of him being the Messiah. And as we've read, they have believed that. Uh, John makes it clear very early in his gospel, in John 2.11, So this is right after Jesus does the miracle of changing the water into wine. It says, this is the beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And these men had believed in Jesus as their Messiah. They had gained eternal life and they possessed kingdom entrance already because of their belief. So why is Jesus telling this to them? That if you're not converted and become little, uh, little children... You won't enter the kingdom of heaven. I believe it's a reminder to them about what this is all about. In chapter 18, Jesus is going to be giving this extended lesson to them about how they are to be living in the coming church age. A lesson on what it does take to be great in the kingdom. If you notice there, I don't believe that seeking to be great in the kingdom was their problem. It was their attitude, their motivation. They were driven by pride and wanting to be number one. And Jesus is saying, that's not, that's not what it's about. Jesus takes them back to the basics, where it all starts childlike faith. Do you remember what it was like to be a child? You know, I have memories that go back to maybe kindergarten, maybe a couple before that. But throughout childhood, until you really start maturing into adulthood, it seems like the entire world around you is bigger than you are. Nothing fits you. Everything is heavy. It's big. And Those are the physical things, but even the non-physical things like problems, they just seem overwhelming. And I can remember when I was a child, that it didn't seem to matter what I came across, whether it was something physical that I had to move or do, or whether it was a problem, I just felt for sure that my dad could handle it. There was nothing he couldn't do. And now, as a father, when I think of the rewards I feel as a dad, when one of my children realizes that there's something they can't do, and they come to me, and I say, Daddy, can you help me with this? Are being changed, are being converted, our thinking to let go of our pride and to come to God in need of a Savior. And then to believe in Jesus as that Savior, God's provision for what we could never do with the dependence of a child. I mean, that is foundational to what the kingdom is. So Jesus gives them this foundation that they already should have known, that they have believed in, But he takes them back to those basics, and then upon that foundation, he's going to build on that. In verses 4 and 5, he's going to show us that humility is the key to kingdom greatness as well. Verses 4 and 5. Whoever then humbles himself as a child, as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one one such child in my name receives me. So humbling yourself as a child is the key to getting into the kingdom. And then living a life in humility is the key to greatness. And this is just so backwards from our natural state, from everything we see around us, from what the world tells us. I mean, jockeying for position, building ourselves up, that's what we want to do. That's what we feel like we need to do. I can think back to my former career, and it was a small business. I mean, maybe 15 or so fellow employees. And I can tell you in that environment, being humble did not pay. At staff meetings, there was never a shortage of those seeking to take the credit for themselves for anything that had gone well. There was this unwritten rule that you had to shine the light on yourself to build yourself up if you wanted to advance, excuse me. And by doing those things, you were rewarded. And so it was a cycle that just continued of pride and arrogance because if you built yourself up, if you patted yourself on the back, if you made your accomplishments known, you were rewarded in your position or in your compensation. And that was a small business. I can only imagine the competitiveness of the corporate world But as evidence here by the disciples, none of that is new. This is not a a new phenomenon. This has been going on as long as man has been around. But Jesus says, when it comes to my kingdom, you've got it all wrong. Don't live like the world and expect to be rewarded in heaven. Again, verse 5 says that whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. It's important to notice here that Jesus has shifted from speaking of a literal child, a child that he brought to himself and placed in the middle of them, to speaking about those who believe in him as children. The one such there, the one such child, is someone who has believed in him. And by saying that receive, if you receive someone, Jesus is pointing to hospitality, to encouragement, to support, for those who have believed in him. So if in humility we are serving one another, we are serving our Lord. By encouraging one another, we are encouraging him. We cannot please him by serving with self-arrogance. Instead, we are to humbly serve one another. Now I think about this idea of receiving someone else, and especially how Jesus Jesus uses this metaphor of Receiving a child, it's important to me how my children are received. I can think back, to, I had a friend that got married some years ago, and he was a close friend, and I traveled a long ways with my family to go to his wedding. But it was a no-children-allowed wedding. And it, I was happy for him, it was a great day, but I just sort of felt like in a celebration time I was leaving part of myself My wife and I were leaving part of ourselves at home. And our children weren't received. Then I think, in comparison, I'll tell you about our first visit here. The leadership of the church got us a hotel room that had a little fort in the room. And the girls each had a bunk bed. And they just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And then every person we met took the time to get to know my daughters, not just myself. And one of my daughters has a food allergy, and every effort was made to make sure that she was taken care of along with everyone else. And as we got to know people, I would look over and I would see them playing with people and getting to know people. And both my wife and I, we were so encouraged by that, that it doesn't just matter that we fit in. We were looking for a place that would love our family, and our children were received here. And so as I look at this as being received, being encouraged, supported. And that's what I think of. And that's what we're to do for one another. While continuing this metaphor of believers as children, Jesus continues to teach on how we are to live in regards to one another. And in verses 6 and 9, he shows us that humility is the key to building one another up. Humility is the key to building one another up. Again, starting in verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the man through whom the stumbling block comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. There's a lot there. And again, the little ones here that he's speaking of, the, having a stumbling block put in front of them. And he's referring to believers there, not to literal children. And Jesus has now also switched from a positive to a negative. We started out with, you will be great if you are humble as a child. And now he has switched out to, look out if you cause a believer to fall. The thought of tripping a child to somehow take joy in making them fall is is absolutely abhorrent. It's funny, I wrote this illustration this week and it it came true again this morning. Our three-year-old loves to try and keep up with her big sisters. And a lot of times her feet get moving faster than her body can or her body's moving faster than her feet and she tumbles. And sometimes she tumbles hard. This morning she evidently tumbled into a door. And it's so heartbreaking to hear her cry. And to think that there are people out there that want to do that to us as believers. That as God views us as his little children there are people out there who purposefully want to trip us up. To see us fall. To see that pain. Jesus said it would be better off to be drowned by hanging a millstone around your neck. And the word for millstone here is not, evidently there was two kinds and the word differentiates which one is which. This was the one turned by the donkey. This was the enormous stone that would ground the grain that took a donkey to turn it around. And Jesus said it's better for you to have that tied to your neck and thrown into the water than to turn one person who follows him. It's interesting reading that. It sort of sounds like the mob, but instead of cement shoes, it's a stone necktie. But this is a dire warning. This is not something that Jesus says, I take lightly. Especially to the Jewish audience, who evidently, as I was reading this week, they had an extreme fear of drowning. In fact, the Romans and the Greeks both used drowning as a form of capital punishment. Uh, But the Jews would never allow it. But then Jesus continues in verse 7 after this first warning, which was, to everyone, believers don't trip up other believers, unbelievers don't trip up believers. Jesus specifically warns the world or the sinful, unbelieving people about causing stumbling blocks. He says, basically, this is a sinful world. I know they're out there. But woe to you if it's you that brings it. Don't intentionally lead one of my little ones away. Now, my first roommate in college was one of the most brilliant people I have ever met. He uh, was on school on a full ride biology scholarship, and I got to know a lot of his friends in the biology department our freshman year. And a lot of them would come and ask me, they'd say, How much does he study? I'm like, He never studies. And I was uh, communications major. So my freshman year, we went mountain biking every day and went down to the pool hall and we had a lot of fun. They've never studied and they were just astonished. They said, he is blowing the curve for all of us. He gets a hundred on every test. He was just, he had a brilliant, brilliant mind. And he was raised in a Christian home and he loved the Lord. And we did Bible studies together. We went to church together. We did all these things and About three years into college, our junior year after that, he went to Alaska for the summer to work a fishing boat. And the captain of that fishing boat introduced Dave to drugs. Within a year, Dave had dropped out of school. Uh, Last I talked to him, maybe a year ago, he's he's my age, in his late 30s, he's valeting cars and uh, doesn't go to church anymore, evidently his... Written off his faith. And I just think about that man who took this brilliant, innocent young man who loved the Lord and he turned him. And I so often wanted to just wring his neck. But as I read this passage, I thought, you know what? Jesus has got it. He says, I don't take that lightly at all. This is a warning. We don't want to cause a believer to stumble. Then in verses 8 and 9, Jesus says that it would be better to injure yourself than to end up in hell. You know, to cut off a hand or a foot if that's what's causing you to sin. To pluck out your eye if that's what's causing you to sin. Have you ever played the game, Would You Rather? I don't really like hypothetical questions, so it's not my favorite game. But in this game, you're to ask someone else, a hypothetical question designed to make the other person think about something that they would have to give up. Like, would you rather spend a year in jail as an innocent man or have a year taken off your life? What would you value more? These questions make you think about what's most important to you, and I believe that's what Jesus is doing here. I read one place that he is being both hyperbolic and hypothetical. Because... We know that we can't stop sinning. This is to the world, these people that are bringing the stumbling blocks, and no amount of self-mutilation is going to bring righteousness in their life. There's nothing that they could do to stop the sin, to make them right before God. But I think that as we read this, we should think about the comparison as a Would you rather? What is more important in my life? The sin I'm holding on to? Or my hand? Or my foot? Or my eye? You take the comparison of if that was possible, what would you rather have? And knowing what Jesus has done for us, we don't have to make that choice. But we still have the ability to sin. And so as we look at our sin... You can look at it in that light of, it would be better to, to lose that hand than to continue sinning, or to pluck out my eye than to continue sinning. So my point for this section was that humility was the key to building one another up. And I'm, I'm saying that because it's the opposite of what Jesus is warning his disciples about here. You know, nothing good will come from dwelling in your pride. By causing another believer to stumble as you fight your way to the top. But by living humbly, we're delivered from that. And as a result, we will be receiving one another, building one another up, as Jesus described in verse 4. And so I see that as this, I look at these warnings and I go, well, on the opposite side of that is, we're living in the community that he wants us to. We're building one another up because of the humility we had. Now, in our last section, verses 10 to 14, Jesus further illustrates how he views believers, his little ones. And he shows us that humility is the key to a proper view of, of believers. Humility is the key to a proper view of believers. We'll read verses 10 to 14. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think, if any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. You know, if I, if I am living a prideful life, if I am patting myself on my back for my salvation, for my good works, for my self-perceived piety, it's really easy to look down on one another. It's really easy to despise someone else, to feel better about myself than them even though I have no good reason to. I think the point of this is that we are to be humble enough to realize that when we as believers, we are all saved by grace. And then in the eyes of Jesus, we're all loved the same. Jesus emphasizes this, that in fact, their salvation, our salvation, is why he came. And as we read this today, we should be humbled by that. As a church that realization should unite us. I read somewhere that true humility is seeing yourself as God sees you. Thank goodness God sees us all through the blood of Christ. But we're all in the same boat. We all needed that Savior. And we all need his power every day. Then Jesus concludes with the parable of the hundred sheep, the one that had gone astray. In this instance, this parable is pastoral, not evangelistic. In this context, Jesus is not talking about an unsaved person that he's going after. He's speaking about those that he has come to save that are are saved. And that if one is straying, that he would leave the 99 to bring that one back. And when the straying believer comes back to God, it brings special joy to him. Now, perishing in this context does not mean a loss of salvation. That's impossible. Eternal life is eternal. But the ultimate result of failing to achieve God's goals. As a disciple, God wants you to mature, to grow. And if you're perishing in your Christian walk, you're wasting your life. But when the straying believer comes back, he will not perish. He will not waste his life. And God rejoices in that. So as I look at this, that if I'm humble, if I'm not thinking too highly of myself, it becomes a lot easier to love each other the way that God loves us. To view myself the way he sees me, and then to see others with the love that he has for them. Love that he wants me to have for them. So let us strive to view each other in this way, to love one another, out of humility that flows from what Christ did for us on the cross, for each and every one of us. Humility is the key to a proper view of fellow believers. So on this Father's Day, I want you to think about our Heavenly Father, who gave His only Son for us. You know, I didn't deserve that, and the Scripture is clear, none of us did. But God sent Him anyways, he loved the world so much that he sent Jesus, and through childlike faith, we can spend eternity with him. But in the here and now, it gets even better. Jesus taught us how we can live to please the Father. Remember, as a child, I wanted to please my dad. And in my home, I, I have good girls, and I can tell they want to please us. But I'll tell you, one of the buzzwords in our house is Attitude. And again, we have good girls. I am very proud of them. But as Erica and I seek to teach them, to correct them, we want to point to not just actions, but attitudes. Those attitudes are exhibited through actions and words. But we know it's not enough to just correct actions. We need to show them why those actions happen. I think that's what Jesus is doing for us here. He's pointing to pride as the antithesis to everything that his kingdom is going to be about. And for us to prepare ourselves for the kingdom, we must cut pride out of our lives. You know, my greatest reward as a father is to see my girls grow in their faith and to see that growth exhibited by their actions. So know that the hard work that Erica and I are putting in is meaning something. We love them and we want the best for them. What it must be like for our Heavenly Father to look down and watch us struggling in our pride and our sin. But he still loves us beyond measure. And he too longs to see us grow. And Jesus taught us a valuable lesson here on how we can. We try and look at attitudes in our home and that's what God looks at. I told you last week I think that Humility is a bedrock of the church. And we see here that to have this unity, it is essential. And again, this whole sermon on Matthew 18, which we will continue next week, is Jesus instructing his disciples on how to live in the church age that is to come. And in response to their pride and their misguided actions that started all of this, you want to look at the negative to tearing one another down, to making each other stumble, Look at them arguing over who was going to be the greatest. Jesus says, you're missing it. Humility is the key. It's the key to our faith. It's the key to becoming great. It's the key to building one another up. It's the key to having a proper view of one another. And to show this, Jesus used the child. While Jesus was and is the ultimate example of humility, I don't think his disciples would have gotten that here. And so Jesus used the child, something that we can all relate to. Again, let us strive to exhibit the humility that is the foundation of our faith. The faith of a child wholly dependent upon God. Would you close with me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for, again, for your word and for the things it teaches us. Lord, I thank you that we can get to know you because you have told us these things and that we can grow in our relationship with you and grow in our faith and live a life that exhibits the humility that you want us to have. Be with us as we go into this week. Thank you again for this Father's Day and all the faithful fathers who are here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.